Welcome to Decode Your Burnout, the podcast where we crack the code on burnout based on three primary factors, your programming, environment, and personality. We also feature experts who debunk the myths about what it takes to be successful in their industry and spin those tips to fit the workplace so you can optimize the way you work. I'm your host, Dr. Sharon Grossman, a psychologist turned coach, author, and burnout expert. If you're burned out and want to go from exhausted to extraordinary, book a free breakthrough session with me by going to bookachatwithsharon.com. And if you want to see how you're doing and what to focus on next, download the burnout checklist. You'll find the link in the show notes or go to bit.ly forward slash check your burnout. Now let's get started. Hello, Decode Your Burnout fans, and welcome to another episode with me, Dr. Sharon Grossman. And today we're joined by Valerie Cockerell. Valerie was born and raised in France, where she graduated from Institute, and you know, forgive me if I don't get the right pronunciation, but it's Leon, is that right? That's close, close enough. Close enough. With a degree in business hospitality, she participated in the World Showcase Fellowship Program at Epcot in 1987-88. After working as an investment advisor for a bank, she eventually joined Disneyland Paris in 1991 as a retail manager and ran multiple merchandise locations in the resort division. She eventually joined the merchandise buying office and oversaw the assortment planning for all resort merchandise locations at Disneyland Paris. Then she moved to Florida in 1997, where she worked as the assortment planning manager at downtown Disney and Epcot Center. So if you're hearing a lot of Disney references, you're going to understand soon where we're going with this. And if you can see us because you're watching us on YouTube, there's a little Disney figure (laughs) that Valerie has in the background so so back to the bio so she then moved to merchandise brand management for both Epcot and the Disney Cruise Line and she left the company she started consulting for outside organizations in the retail world returned to Disney in 2013 to become a contract facilitator for Disney Institute she facilitated professional development classes and custom programs in both French and English. And she really was able to draw from her international management experience in retail and operations to teach Disney's approach to leadership excellence and customer service. So we can agree that all of this experience in not just anywhere in the corporate sector, but at Disney has really brought her a lot of valuable experience that we're going to hear about today. Since May 2019, Valerie has turned into a keynote speaker and she facilitates workshops with her husband, Dan Cockrell, who we will also talk about shortly. She explains her expertise and methodology in leading teams and delivering outstanding customer service. And then she just came out with a brand new book called Manage Like a Mother, which is where she brings a simple to understand and easy to implement take on leadership inspired by a mother's playbook, something I think that only us mothers can really do. So Valerie, I'm so excited to have you. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure talking to you today. So before we get all into it, I always like to ask people if you've had an experience with burnout, uh, if you could share 
your experience? Most enough, I would say. And I think that was back in the early 2000. Uh, my husband and I had transferred from Disneyland Paris back to Walt Disney World in Florida. So we had moved. I was now working at Walt Disney World, which is a big machine. It is by far the biggest Disney property. And I was working in retail at the time, which involved a lot of travels. And we had two young kids at the time. We eventually had three children, but we had the, the first two under the age of five. And I had to travel a lot. My husband worked for Disney Operation also, which as you all know, the parks are open 365 days a year. So it involves a lot of time on the ground. And me flying to Europe and China, I was in charge of assortment for Epcot at the time. And for those of you that are not familiar with Epcot, there's 11 pavilions that are at the back of the World Showcase. And I was in charge of retail for the, for these pavilions. So I had to travel to all these countries, which sounds like a lot of fun. But when you're mom and you have two young kids and your husband is out also out and about and you have babysitters lined up to you know take care of the kids... It got to the point where, number one, where I was exhausted, and number two, I had this constant guilt. I was yeah. working, whether I was doing too much for the job or not enough, or too much for my kids or not enough. It was this constant pull. And eventually, yeah. I am fortunate enough to have a very understanding husband, and we both could see the signs of our family getting more and more dysfunctional. And we also knew that as the kids grow up, it is more demanding on your time and there's bigger issues to deal with. So one day my husband actually came to my office and he said to me, Valerie, Disney will still be here. It's not going anywhere. If you want to stop working, why not give it a shot? And then we can change your mind in a year or two, because we had been talking about the idea. I just could not make the jump. And that day was one of those days where you've been running around, you forget things, you just realize you're not being good at anything that you try to do, whether it is at home or at work. And in that moment of clarity, I said, okay. And I literally got up, I kid you not, I got out of my office and I went to the vice president of merchandise, which was a couple of doors down. And I said, I'm giving my resignation. And she was totally, it just came out of left field for her. And she was shocked. She said, what happened? And I said, I just realized if I don't do it, it's going to get ugly. So this was my, not exactly burnout, but we were very close. I was personally exhausted. And I realized that and took a pretty drastic decision with the comfort of knowing that First, financially, we, I could, and I feel very lucky to have been able to do that. Number two, working for a company like Disney and knowing that Disney would still be there and I was welcome to come back, which I eventually did some years later. But that was a very easy, not an easy decision, but it was a comfortable decision to make for me because of the circumstances. And I realized not everybody has that luxury. So I'm actually curious. So you, you and your husband both worked for Disney. You both had very long hours. You were ridden with guilt about straddling, raising the kids and working. And your husband comes to you and says, why don't you just quit? And then you don't have to work. And then you could just be with the kids. And I'm so curious, what was it like for him to be a dad and work and not be with the kids? And like, did he ever consider 
like you work and I'll quit or was it like no you're the mom you should be the one not to work I'm glad you asked this question in retrospect we often talk about this now and I said you know Dan we never ever at any point entertain the possibility that maybe you should be the one staying home and we were about I think our career were pretty much on par at the time so who knows what would have happened to my career, then went on to becoming, I think shortly after that, he took a position as the general manager of the All-Star Resort, which is the biggest Disney hotel with 6,000 hotel rooms. And then shortly after that, he was promoted vice president of Epcot, then the Disney Hollywood studio, and eventually the Magic Kingdom. So he had an incredible career. Who knows what my career would have been? Maybe as good or not as good or better, we'll never know. But it's funny because we never really entertained that. And I think somewhere, maybe my guilt of not being with the children was greater than his. And it may come from the fact that Dan is a single child and his dad always worked in the hospitality industry and traveled extensively. So I think for him, that pattern was kind of, it wasn't new, but it was not something that he had not experienced himself. Versus for me, my mom didn't work when I was a child. And I remember having my mom at home. And I think my guilt, thinking my mom was here for me when I grew up. And I felt like I needed to be there for my kids when they were growing up. So that's why we never considered that maybe Dan should be the one staying home. And I'm glad to see that today, more and more couples are making that kind of decisions, which is wonderful. And I think that's the way it should be. And there's no right or wrong here is to each their own. And it's for them to decide what works best for their family unit. I think you make an excellent point. And that is that we each have guilt at different levels for different reasons because of maybe how we grew up or what we believe, right? And for you, it was a very different reality than for your husband because of the way that he grew up versus how you grew up. And so because you were straddling this guilt and you had this inner conflict, it created what we call cognitive dissonance, right? It's where we feel uncomfortable with our situation and we're trying to find a way to reduce that inner conflict. And so we have to make a decision and then we have to kind of justify why we make that decision. And so for you, it was like, well, I feel guilty about not being with the kids. I've already spent all this time at work. So for me, it's a great opportunity to kind of switch. And then I don't have to feel guilty anymore. And I can always come back to Disney. And that allowed that kind of story that you created allowed you to make that decision and let go of the guilt of not working and just embracing the children. And for him, because he didn't have the guilt, there was no cognitive dissonance that was strong enough to leave. And so I think it's important to recognize that it's not just about gender. It's also about our background and where we come from and our beliefs and whether we have guilt or not. There's so much that goes into these decisions. But I think the fact that you made the decision probably saved you from very severe burnout because it sounds like you were on your way anyhow with all this exhaustion of traveling. And by the way, guilt itself is something that is draining emotionally. So it's not just about the long hours and the work that you're putting in. It's also like that constant battle within yourself and the desire to be able to kind of duplicate yourself and be able to spend time with the kids and not be able to, that is also an energy drain. So it's all contributing 
to the overall pot, if you will, of energy that you're carrying, and then you're starting to feel the exhaustion. So thank yeah, you for sharing. There is the idea that you, you're not delivering your best. That was for me, I wouldn't say I'm a perfectionist, but always thinking that I could be a better mom or I could be a better leader. And that constant feeling that I'm just falling short on both ends because I cannot apply myself fully. And I think it affects eventually your self-confidence and knowing that I could have done better. I have more to offer. And that is something that adds up over time. It's like layers and layers and layers that lead to complete burnout eventually and being unhappy with yourself and unfulfilled and not satisfied with the life we lead. And that's and so what's, where, yeah. Ahead. And I think what we can learn from that is that it's important for us to focus on when possible, one thing at a time, because we got too many things. We can't do everything perfectly, right? We can't be our best in so many different domains. We kind of have to strategize and say like, this is my priority. This is what I'm going to do as best as I can. And I know that I have all these other things that I also am involved in. And they're going to have to take a hit, right? Because when you have unrealistic expectations of yourself that I'm going to be the best mom and I'm going to be like top of the world in terms of my career, then obviously you're deluding yourself because we all only have 24 hours in a day and your energy gets tapped out after a certain point. So you made a decision about, I want to be the best mom. And so I'm prioritizing that. And I say kudos to you for just making a decision rather than staying in that paradigm, which a lot of people do, and definitely it leads to lots of burnout for them. So that's really good. And I think this idea of not being a perfectionist, but you could still be your best is something that we can all relate to. And I think it's important in a way to prevent burnout and, and asking yourself the question, not how can I be perfect in everything that I do, but how can I be my best in the one thing or the two things that I really focus on, right? And that's a very different kind of situation that you're putting yourself into. And so now I'm curious, you made motherhood a priority, and now you've come out with this book about motherhood and leadership. And so I'm curious if you could walk us through some of the principles that you share in the book. Well, First of all, my husband and I, we always look at life thinking the first 25 years of your life, you should learn. The second 25 years of your life, you do. And then the next 25 years, you should teach and share your experience and your insight. And then anything that happens beyond that is gravy, right? So we're over 50. We're both looking back at our career and what we've done. And I realized that when I was in my 20s, I became a leader at the time working at Disneyland Paris. I had no idea what I was doing. I mean, I was a mess. I had no idea what leadership was. And now looking back, and I learned the hard way. And I'm looking back, I'm thinking, how could I help maybe young professional, aspiring leaders really get better at leadership and understanding what makes a great leader? And I think out there, we often hear a lot of people talk about leadership and make it very complicated. But I think... 90% of the skills required to be an effective leader is actually very simple. And it occurred to me because I've been going in and out of the workplace over the course of my career, I first left Disney. When we transferred from Disney and Paris to Walt Disney World, I took some time off to settle down and get organized in America. 
And then again, as I mentioned in the early 2000s, I stopped working, take care of our two children. We ended up having another son. So I raised our three kids for a while and then came back to business. So every time I did this, I was always trying to build my self-confidence and really think deeply about what does it take to be an effective leader again. And suddenly I had this epiphany and realized, you know what, to be an effective leader is really not much different than being an effective mom. There are some basic principles you need to take care of. And I'm not bringing anything that will rock the leadership world on its axis, right? But I'm saying, if you think of leadership through and think about it through the lens of what you do as a mom or what a mom does, then you can cover about 90, 95% of the skills required. Think about training, developing, setting expectation, having a long-term vision, time management skills, Resolving conflict. When you have more than one kid and they're nagging at each other all day, you become an expert as resolving conflict. A crisis situation. When you have young kids and one of them gets hurt and you need to drag them to the emergency room, you become good at this. You know what it takes to deal with a crisis situation. So I started thinking about all these skills and, I'm, and to me it became obvious why is it that we're not leveraging the mother's playbook and apply that to leadership? And suddenly it all became a lot more simple and relatable. And we all know that when something is relatable, we remember it and then we can implement it. So I thought that could be a good tool for people to use for women and men, by the way. I don't want the book to be thought of as, because it's called Manage Like a Mother, it is a book for mothers, not exclusively. You don't have to be a mother. You don't even have to be a woman to benefit from the book because we've all been kids. We all have a mother or motherly figure in our lives. And we remember how it felt when it was great, when your mom was being empowering you, giving you responsibilities, encouraging you, supporting you. We remember how great that felt. We also maybe remember because mothers are not always perfect when mom was maybe holding us accountable for something she had not set up the expectations for, or maybe something she was not role modeling herself, then take all that learning, bottle it up and use it in your leadership approach and think about that. How does it feel when you're not given clear expectation? How frustrating it is. How does it feel when somebody is here supporting you, making life easier for you, giving you resources you need? apply that to the, your leadership approach. How does it feel when your mom gives you feedback? Your mom gives you feedback every day and she still loves you unconditionally. And why does she do that? Because she wants you to be the best adult version of yourself possible. So when you give feedback to somebody in your team, give them feedback thinking about this. You don't want to judge their character. What you're trying to do is make them the best performer they can be and give them the best chances at growing that you can so all of these things to me became so obvious and that's how the book came about and i would have to imagine that emotional intelligence is one of those really important skills to translate motherhood into leadership because when you're a mom it's your motherly instinct to love your kids and to want the best for them but when you're a manager you're just kind of thrown into a situation with people that you may not have chosen to work with you or for you. And you have to, quote unquote, love them as if they were your children in order to implement some of the things that you're saying. And so 
I love this analogy because as you say, it's very relatable. And I think that one of the things perhaps in leadership that we need to start with is helping people cross that gap from this person and I'm dealing with these strangers to figuring out how do I develop this kind of quote unquote love for my employees where I want the best for them, where I am their cheerleader, where I am there to nurture all these motherly instincts for them in my leadership. And I think we would have a completely different workplace. Oh yeah. I can't agree more. And also when it comes to emotional intelligence, there may be misunderstanding. I think of three things when we talk about emotional intelligence, self-awareness, obviously, Self-control is the second thing. Well, self-control is not about being quiet. It's about expressing your feelings appropriately. Yes. And that, I think a lot of people equate like self-control, oh, don't say anything. That's not true. It's just being able to say, hey, you know, Sharon, I disagree with you. And here is why. And doing it in a matter that is respectful, that is clear and without any high feelings or or tension or you know so that's the second thing and then the third thing is about empathy and showing empathy again I think a lot of people think empathy you have to agree with people you don't have to agree with people but it's recognizing the fact that you have a different perspective you have a different point of view you have different feelings and recognizing this is that's what empathy is about and I think a mother we learned this. Now, let me make this very clear. Another similarity between being a mother and being a leader is there's no perfect playbook. There is no standard operating procedure where you go, okay, here's the situation, go to page 146, and that's going to give you the perfect answer. Much of being a mother, just like being a leader, is learned on the job. And emotional intelligence is one of those things that you have to Practice, understand, practice, and you fine-tune it, and you tweak it, and you get better at it. And it goes with listening skills. I remember me becoming a new leader, and I wanted to still prove myself, which is kind of silly, because when you're a new leader, you've already been given the job. So you shouldn't feel like you need to prove yourself. But And I would just be giving directive, giving setting expectation, coming up with ideas, trying to problem solve and fix everything which was the wrong approach. That's why I said I'd had no idea what leadership was all about. I wasn't listening to the people who were working with me. And once I learned that and I developed that, things became a lot easier. You know, communication is a two-way street. Things where ideas, suggestion, comment, criticism would come back at me and I would be listening to it and taking into consideration. So that's a skill, whether you're a mom or a leader, that's something you learn on the job. It doesn't, few people have that naturally. I think it's something we develop over time. So many similarities. It's a, it's a really great reminder because I'm thinking about like a parent who is very authoritarian, who is like, it's my way. I'm the parent. I'm the dictator. You're my child. You do what I tell you versus a more authoritative kind of a parent that says, so, you know, what happened? I want to hear your side of the story, right? And they're lis- they're listening and then they're like, listen, 
I understand. And da, 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 right. So they're like learning how to massage the situation and bring in their perspective alongside the other person's perspective. And that allows the person to feel heard and cared about. And then from there, you can kind of navigate. And I think that's a really important skill that they don't teach this in school. I mean, mm -hmm. I don't know if anybody here has an MBA and they're teaching this in business school, but I don't think so. It's funny you say this because in the book, I talk about that one sentence that as a mom, you have said one day or the other, when you tell your kids, because I said so, mm -hmm. because I said so, how did that work out for you? Probably not well, because when you hear, because I said so, you're on the receiving end of that, you're frustrated, you are exasperated, it really doesn't help. Well, because I said so doesn't work in parenting and doesn't work in leadership. You can't just make that statement and walk away and hope that people will do, they may do what you're asking that one time, but the next time you've got your back turned, you will do whatever you think best. So it's the idea that you have to understand others, give them an opportunity to explain their point of view, and then explain what you are asking in the context of the overall goal or the overall dynamic of your family or the overall vision of what you're trying to accomplish, whether it is for your team, for your organization, or for your family unit. But just telling, because I said so, doesn't get you anywhere. Again, that's another learning from your childhood that you can remember and realize how ineffective it is and remind yourself of that when you work with a team in the workplace. So Valerie, I got a question for you. A lot of times you're talking about this analogy of parenting. And one of the things we know is that parenting is the hardest job on the planet. And so if parenting is like leadership, people must think that leadership is complicated. And so I'm curious about your take on this. Those are all principles. It's not that complicated. Those are principles that we know and we understand when we think about the interaction of a mother with her kids. It's about respect. It's about developing. It's about setting clear expectations. It's about managing your time properly so you can really invest your time in the things that matter most. Sometimes as a mom, it's okay to leave your kitchen absolute hot mess if you can spend 15 minutes reading a book with your child. Why is it important? Because in the long term, you understand that if your child becomes an avid reader, enjoys reading, when your child's going to be an avid reader, he's going to have an easier time at school, which will lead to maybe a better education, which will give them a better chance to do a job of their liking and of their choosing. So a mother understands that long-term implication, and therefore she understands where she needs to apply her time. Leaders need to do the same thing. When you lead an organization, sometimes you get carried away taking care of these things that may be urgent, but in the big picture of things, they really don't matter. So it's a leader needs to keep always in his or her sight what matters most, what will affect the long-term well-being of the organization. And a mom does that for her kids. She knows that. So that's another similarity between the two. There is so many... Uh, leadership is hard and parenting is hard. It requires consistency and diplomacy. And like I said earlier, a fair amount of on-the-job training. But if you think about it in through the lens of a mother, I think you can make it a lot more relatable and a lot easier to 
implement, and that should ease up the process. And if you're in your 20s or 30s and you get leadership responsibilities, and sometimes you get to that burnout point where you don't know your head is spinning, well, let's go back to basic. I, I often share this analogy. I'm a tennis player, love playing tennis. And when my tennis game is off and I can't seem to be able to get the ball where it's supposed to be or where I would like it to be, I always go back to basics. I always remind myself, bend your knees, keep your eyes on the ball and follow through, which are the three basic things they teach you on day one when you learn how to play tennis. I do that for about a game or two and just focusing on those basic things. Eventually I relax, I'm not as tense and I'm focused on taking care of basics and then my game comes back and then suddenly I start landing my shots. What is the same in leadership? Sometimes when things get super complicated, go back to basic, go back to those basic things, take care of people, help them, encourage them, give them feedback, set great expectation, clear expectation, listen to them and communicate. Well, if you take care of those basic things, mm -hmm. leadership will become a lot easier to implement. So this is actually pretty funny that you mentioned that because basically what you did was you took something that you learned on the tennis court and you're talking about how to apply it in leadership. And mm -hmm. I just came up with a book. I just wrote a book called The Stress Advantage. And mm -hmm. if you can see here, it says lessons from the <laughs> tennis court. And I'm really talking about exactly that, like things that you learn on the tennis court and how you can apply them to your life. And specifically around stress and how it can be an advantage instead of something negative. So I love that you're using that analogy as well. Now, bringing it back to motherhood for a second, you mentioned leadership through the lens of motherhood, but for somebody who is a full-time mom, who is also working full-time as you did previously, you might not be able to even get land the job because of this idea that you're not going to be effective. If you already have the job, people might have some sort of a negative bias against your ability to be productive. Can you speak to that? It's funny because I think of the book now and I'd like to go back and add to it because now it's leading to this question. If we recognize that most of the leadership competencies are no different than what it takes to raise kids effectively, then it begs the question, why don't we have more women in leadership position? Because we have gender parity in the workplace, but when it comes to leadership position, I think that the statistics are around 33, 34% of leadership position are held by women. Why is this? Because for that very reason, we assume if a mother has leadership position, she won't be able to apply herself completely as well as a man would because yeah. she is going to split her time between her kids and her job. And my argument with the book now, and I don't think I developed that enough, I wish I could add it to the book now, is to say, on the contrary, women, particularly mothers, bring this natural instinct, this great emotional intelligence that they have bring that to the workplace which allows them to be more effective now let me share with you a study that i read about i think the study took place about 10 years ago it's not recent but it was done by mit and what they did they were trying to measure the collective iq of a team so they formed different teams and 
put on those teams people with different IQs and what they found out and they measured to see how effective they were. So they gave them tasks and some problem to solve collectively. And they realized that if in a group you were to put a lot of people with really high IQ, the collective IQ of the group was not necessarily high. It would not translate into a better team. The second learning they found was that if in the group you had one person with really high IQ, but this person was very authoritative and that person was dominating the conversation and kind of hijacking the decision-making, the overall, the collective IQ and performance of the group would actually go down. And the third learning, which I think is the most interesting, is the collective IQ of a group would actually go up when you had more women on the group. Not because women are smarter than men, but because women have a better emotional intelligence. So they tend to listen better, collaborate better, welcome constructive feedback and constructive criticism. They would be more open to ideas. So as a result, the group was becoming more effective. So you can argue that Yes, maybe women mothers have to split their mental capacity between taking care of their kids and work. But number one, it's no different than a father. I'd like to think that most fathers feel that way too. They feel they think about their children and they think about their professional career also. And I think the skills that those very important skills of emotional intelligence that women develop pretty naturally and they get to tweak and practice with their children, they can bring that to the workplace and really enhance the performance of a team. The book for me was a way to remind mothers of this and remind women that they are uniquely prepared to take on leadership positions because of this ability and this emotional intelligence that they have. But also through the book and by asking men to read the book and think about their own childhood and what their mom did well, for them to develop those skills also and hire more women in the workplace, put more women in leadership position so they can bring that additional expertise, that emotional intelligence to the table and therefore enhance the performance of their team. Hopefully because the message is so simple and by really making men think about their mothers or their mother figure in their lives, how it impacted them and how valuable that skill is. And hopefully over time, we'll be able to bridge the gap between women in leadership and gender parity and have gender parity in leadership position. It's such an important message. And I love this idea, which we all have probably heard of where it's not really about IQ when it comes to the workplace, it's about EQ. And that's the thing that we focus on the least. So this is a wake up call for everybody to really hunker down on that. And it's exactly what you talked about in the beginning, which is self-awareness. It's about learning how to manage your own emotions and communicate in a way that people can hear you and to understand what other people are feeling, even if you don't agree with them and learn how to kind of negotiate with them, given all these factors. So I, I appreciate you bringing all of these things to the forefront. And I love this metaphor of leading with your motherly skills and applying all these things that are so natural to us, we don't even think about how we can use them in a new context. And I think that's an important message for all of us to hear. And also, I think there's a message in there about the importance of having more women in leadership. 
So these are all very, very important messages. Now, for somebody who is interested in finding your book, where should they go? Well, the book is now available everywhere you buy your book. Barnes and Nobles, Target, Amazon. It's Kindle and Apple Books. So just about okay. everywhere. Wonderful. So we will have a link to the book. And I know you mentioned you're a keynote speaker now. And so if somebody's listening to this and they'd like to hire you to speak on their stage, where can they find you? Well, you can reach me at cockrollconsulting.com. My email is Valerie at cockrollconsulting.com. So we'll have that in the show notes also. And yes, we travel quite a bit extensively. We're based out of Colorado and we do keynotes in the U.S. and also a lot overseas. We've been working a lot in Brazil. My book's coming out in Brazil next month. Oh, so I'm very yes. excited about this. And I think they have... For them, the gap between the work in the workplace between men and women, it's even greater than it is in the U.S. I've met many women already who are very excited about it. So I think I'm going to be spending a bit of time down there. But reach out to me at Carpool Consulting. And the book is called Manage Like a Mother, Leadership Lessons Drawn from the Wisdom of Mom. Wonderful. Valerie, congrats on the book. And thank you for coming here and sharing some of what you've experienced in the workplace and as a mother with all of us, I think we all get to benefit. Wonderful. Thank you for having me. Of course. Now for all of you thinkers out there, what did you think of the show? If you're a feeler, how did hearing this make you feel? And for all of you doers, what are you going to do based on what you've heard? Now, regardless of what your personality code is, my goal is to spread the word that burnout is a unique experience. And by decoding it, you can find solutions that are equally unique to you. Help me spread this message by subscribing to the show on Apple or Spotify and leaving us a review, telling us what you think, feel, or do differently because of the show. If you're watching us on YouTube, you can also leave me a comment or questions to answer in future episodes. And please recommend the show to anyone struggling with burnout. And if you're ready to take the next step with me to DYB, go to decodeyourburnout.com and I'll see you right back here next week. Bye, everybody. 